Well, good morning and welcome to First Church on this Father's Day weekend. All of the dads out there, would you stand up for me really quickly? If you're a dad, stand up real quickly. Can we give our dads a round of applause? Not a good looking dads out there. Most of you guys, praise, praise Jesus. So I am a uh, father as well. I'm a father of about uh, one and a third right about now. Is that right about the, how it works? One and a half right in that uh, range. And so Father's Day is a wonderful moment for us. Thank you for sharing in life together with us on this Father's Day weekend. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you have a phone, if you have a tablet, we encourage you to use that as well. If you're new with us today, we encourage the use of technology here at First Church uh, as often as possible to look up scripture. Uh, We even allow people, really crazy thought, we even allow people to get on social media during a message and actually share a thought. So uh, if your uh, fathers, if your uh, wife or your kids see you on social media, tell them it's allowed, all right, in this 30-minute window to share what Jesus is speaking uh, to you. You say, Andrew, why is that so important? Because on any given Sunday when I preach, uh, five, six, seven hundred people hear the word of God, right? But when Jesus has touched your heart so much that you want to share it with someone else, literally thousands of people can be impacted by a word that impacted you. And you really never know because Jesus uses the smallest things to make the biggest difference. And you never know if Jesus has spoken to you what a word might do to somebody else today and be a part of a life transformation uh, for them. So we encourage you to do that. Acts chapter 4, as you are turning there, we welcome you to the third and the final week of our message series called Day One. If you would, one last time, you know the drill, say it with me, Day One. What we are doing in this series is we are looking at Day One in the life of the early church. This is day one for us in terms of a new pastor, new start, new beginning, but this season is also day one in the life of the early church. It's the season of Pentecost. It's the season when God chose to pour out his Holy Spirit upon his people and upon the world in a really powerful way. And what we believe at First Church is that God is not done pouring out his Holy Spirit. What we believe is that it wasn't a one-time occurrence 2,000 years ago, and now he's done. We've got all the spirit we need. We really do believe that the Holy Spirit is available to all of us today, that God wants to pour out his spirit in that same way upon us here at First Church. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come by accident, does he? The Holy Spirit doesn't come wherever he wants to at any given moment. Uh, uh, God's not up in heaven uh, uh, picking names or numbers out of a hat or drawing straws to see which church he's going to bless with the Holy Spirit today, right? It's a church that is prepared for his coming is the church that receives the Holy Spirit. So in week one, we learn together that God fills a church that is prepared for a purpose. Last week, week two, we found that God fills a church that lives like the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. What are we gonna give to our Father in heaven? We give Glory to our Father in heaven. That's why our key thought for the series is so important. If you haven't written it down yet, if you haven't shared it yet, please do so now. Our key thought. As God's people, our mission, our job is to glorify God. God's mission, God's job is to build his church. 
Our job is to glorify God. God's job is to build his church. Never once in all of scripture does Jesus say that it's our job to build our own church. Never once does he tell us that we have to be responsible for building up our own church. In fact, he tells us in Matthew chapter 16, he says, and you are Peter, and on this rock, who will build his church? I will build my church, right? Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus says, it's my job to build my church. All you have to do is bring glory to my name. He says, when I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. All we have to do is glorify God, and God takes care of the rest. That's really good news, First Church. Amen? That's really good news that God has promised to take care of his church. So this week, week three, as we conclude our message series, we look at a message entitled, Ready for Resistance ready for resistance. So Acts chapter 4 is where we are today. Where we last left off in Acts chapter 2, things were going really well for the early church, right? Uh, They were growing, things were multiplying. Uh, A little prayer meeting up in an upper room turned into 120, turned into 3,000, turned into 5,000, and things are going fantastic. Acts 2.47, and the Lord was adding daily to their number those who were being saved. Things are going really well. Unfortunately, I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible doesn't end in Acts chapter 2. It's got a few more chapters after it. And what we find is a key principle that all of us must be aware of. In fact, when I first shared with you uh, in October uh, of last year, it was a word that God laid on my heart, and it's one that, that, that I think he would lay on our heart time and time again. And it goes a lot like this. When we are seeking after the heart of God, when we are doing what God has called us to do, we will be under attack. A church that is on fire for God will be a church that is under fire from our enemy. A church that is on fire will be a church that is, uh, is on fire will be a church that is under fire. When we are doing what God has called us to do, when we are making an impact in our community, the greater the target will be on our back from our spiritual enemy who so desperately desires to stop us. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Uh, maybe for you, your, your, your marriage has, has been struggling and God's been working on you and you've, you've been taking steps to, to get things together and you're in church together and you're in a small group or a Sunday school class together and you're getting accountability with one another and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like you're back at each other's necks again. Uh, maybe for you, it's your finances and God's been speaking to you about getting out of debt, digging yourself out of this, 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 this hole of debt that you've created. And so you're getting really radical. You're going all Dave Ramsey, right, financial peace. And you're doing beans and rice and rice and beans. And you're going to cash in the envelopes. And you're selling kids off. I mean, you're doing everything, right, in order to get yourself out of debt. And then the car breaks down. The dryer stops working. The basement floods. Medical bills. Collection calls. And it's like you start all over again. Maybe for you, it's your spiritual life. Jesus has gotten serious with you about spending some time with him, and so you started to get disciplined, and you're reading your Bible, and you're praying daily, and you're in church, and you're coming to prayer meeting, and you're doing all these things, and then Satan realized, well, if I can't make them bad, then I'm going to make them busy, and your life just got so full of stuff that the first thing to go was your walk with Jesus. A church, a people that are on fire for God, will be a church or a people that are under fire from our enemy. And that's exactly what we see here in Acts 
chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3, in the previous chapter, what we find is that Peter and John have just done a really neat miracle. They've just healed a guy who has been crippled from birth, and he's over 40 years old. It's unheard of in that day. And so all these people start running, and they're coming to, to where the miracle happened, and Peter is never one to miss the opportunity to preach a message. And so he preaches, and 2,000 more people get saved, right? It's really good news, except it's not good news for their enemies, the religious leaders who are trying to stop this whole Jesus movement. Convince people that Jesus was a hoax, that he wasn't the son of God, that he didn't raise from the dead, that there really wasn't anything to it. And so what we find is that our church, the early church, is under attack from our enemy. And what we're going to do over the course of the next few minutes is we're going to look at three ways that our spiritual enemy attacks us and three ways in which we are called to respond that we also may become a church that is ready to face the resistance. Are you ready? Let's dig back in together. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Peter and John have just performed their miracle. The, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the religious leaders are not very happy. And here is the first principle. Our spiritual enemy wants to silence us, but we will never be quiet. Our spiritual enemy wants to silence us, but we will never be quiet. Look at verse 2. Here's what Scripture says. They were greatly disturbed. This is the religious leaders. Were greatly disturbed because the apostles were doing what? Say it with me. They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they did what? They put them in jail until the next day. What's the best way to silence somebody? Throw them in jail, right? Lock them up and put them behind bars. It reminds me a little bit, maybe you're familiar with, with, with Mark Twain's uh, advice for fathers on this Father's Day. Uh, he said, uh, Dad, when, you're, uh, when your boys turn 13, uh, go ahead and put them in a barrel and feed them through the knot hole. H- have you heard this? And he says, when they turn 16, go ahead and plug up the knot hole. And they'll be good to go, right? That's how it works. You want to silence somebody, throw them in a barrel, put them behind bars, and get them out of the way. And then keep going in verse 18. Then the religious leaders called Peter and John in again and commanded them to do what? Commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They say, in effect, you've got two options. You can either stay behind bars or you can stop talking about this Jesus, You can stay locked up or you can be quiet, but that's all you get. There's only two options. It reminds me of a couple uh, days ago, Simone and Lucas and I were sitting around our uh, uh, breakfast table and my wife turned to Lucas and said, Lucas, what do you want? Do you want a a, a baby uh, brother or do you want a baby sister? Do you think mommy's going to have a baby boy or a baby girl? And Lucas thought for a minute, and then he looked up and said, I think I want a baby dog. (laughs) Baby dog, right? Completely different option, completely different category. You've got two options, boy or girl, dog is not one of them, right? And that's exactly how Peter and John reply. They say, we don't like your two options. We don't like those two choices. So look what they say in verse 19. Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves 
whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But as for us, say it with me, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking, they say. We cannot help speaking. Our spiritual enemy wants to silence us, but we cannot be quiet. Our spiritual enemy wants to stop us from accomplishing the work that God has called us to do in this community, but we simply cannot stop. Peter and John say, we don't have a choice. We can't help it. We had such a radical experience with the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit of Jesus that we simply cannot be quiet. In fact, church, there's a principle I'd encourage you to write this down, and it goes like this. I believe that the boldness of my witness about Jesus is directly reflected in my experience with Jesus. That the boldness of my witness about Jesus reflects the depth of my experience with Jesus. Peter and John have had such a radical experience with Jesus. They owe, them, they, they owe him their very lives, and they say, it doesn't matter. You can kill us. You can lock us up. You can do whatever you want to try to silence us, but we simply will not be quiet. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. First church, what if we became a church like that? What if we became a church known in our community that we simply wouldn't stop talking about Jesus and about what he's done in our lives? With all the hopelessness and all the brokenness and all the darkness around him, what if we were salt? What if we were light everywhere we went, that we couldn't stop speaking, that we refused to be silent? What kind of church does God use? He uses a church where the enemy wants to silence us but we will not be quiet. Second, if you're taking notes, our spiritual enemy wants to deceive us, but we will never give in. Our spiritual enemy wants to deceive us, but say it with me, we will never give in. Flip over with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, what we find is that our spiritual enemy is astute, right? And what he realizes is that if he can't get us from the outside... He'll try to get us from the inside. In fact, uh, I shared uh, this with you a few months back, and I, and I still hold it to be true, and I uh, want to share it with you again, that I honestly believe that the most devastating attacks against a church come not from the outside, but they come from the inside. That the most devastating attacks against the church come not from the outside, but from the inside. Think about the history of the church. Every time the church is persecuted, every time there's martyrs, every time there's the death of the saints, what does the church do? It explodes all over the world where there's persecution now. The church is literally multiplying exponentially. But every time there's discord and every time there's disunity and every time there's division, what happens? The church crumbles because our spiritual enemy knows that the most devastating attacks come not from the outside but from the inside Look what happens here in verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Pause there. Why are they selling property? Well, remember last week we talked about the radical generosity of this community, right? That they would go around and they would sell property and land and, and anything they had and give to people who are in need. So this seems like a really good deal that these people are doing this, right? But go on to verse 2. With his wife's full knowledge... What did he do? Say it with me. He kept back part of the money for himself, 
but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. What's the problem here? The problem is not that he keeps back part of the money. It was his land. It was his money. He could have done with it whatever he wanted to do. The problem is that he acted like it was the full amount. And driven by his greed and driven by his pride, he lied to the church and he lied to the Holy Spirit. The problem with lies, as you and I have probably figured out, is they always come back to get you, don't they? A couple weeks ago, Simone, uh, Lucas and I were engaged in a, uh, a father-son bonding practice that goes back uh, thousands of years. It's a practice known as big game hunting. Have I ever been out doing big game hunting, right? Some of you guys maybe go out with your sons and you uh, hunt deer or elk or moose or rabbits or whatever, and if you're a vegetarian, you hunt targets maybe out there. Uh, 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 that day, we were actually hunting um, houseflies. Uh, that's what we were doing. So there was house flies in our house, and these just mesmerized Lucas. He loves flies. And so we were chasing these flies around the house, and I gave him a fly swatter, and I showed him how to use the fly swatter. And the only stipulation of our big game hunting exercise for Lucas was that we weren't allowed to kill the fly. Lucas said, Dad, you can't kill the fly. I said, Lucas, that's what fly swatters are for. No, you cannot kill the fly. Okay, I won't kill the fly. So we get it up into the upstairs bathroom and we corner it and I kind of take a swat at it and I, I hit it just good enough. I don't know if you've ever done this. I hit it good enough that I stunned it but didn't kill it. You know what I mean? It's kind of going around in circles, like kind of doesn't know where it is, right? You know, and it actually, then it fell into our bathroom sink, right? So there's this fly, it's immobilized, it's in the sink and I can't put the poor thing out of its misery because Lucas said I can't kill the fly. So I'm sitting there and I have a brilliant idea once in a lifetime. And I, and I said to Lucas, Lucas, turn on the water. And he said, why, Dad? I said, because flies love to go swimming. <laughs> it's their favorite thing. They love to go swimming. In fact, they swim circles all around when you put them in the water. And so he, so oh, we're gonna, fly's going to go swimming. So he turns on the water, and the, the fly starts doing the, the spiral of death, right, around the, around the drain, right? So going down and down and down. And finally, falls in, and Lucas, oh, the fly's swimming, oh, the fly's, oh, the fly's going down the, down the drain. Where's he going, Dad? Uh, swimming pool, probably. <laughs> Headed down to the swimming pool with his, oh, the fly's going to the swimming pool. That's so awesome. So a couple minutes later, we went back downstairs, and Simone kind of offhand said, hey, did you finally kill that fly? And I said, oh, yeah, we, we killed that thing. And Lucas looked at me, devastated. Right, and I'm like, I know. I mean, we didn't. It, it went swimming. We didn't kill it. It was swimming, and it was doing circles. It was really awesome. And then, about five minutes later, after thinking about it for a while, he comes back up to me, and he says, "Dad, can I ask you a question?" "Sure, son." He said, "Dad, flies aren't very good swimmers, are they?" <laughs> "No, son. No, no, they're not." fly is dead. We all get caught in our lies, right? Eventually, be sure your lies, be sure your sins will find you out. And that's what happened with Ananias here. Look what Peter says in verse 3. He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan, who is it? That Satan, our spiritual enemy, has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he did what? The spiral of death, right? Right around the, where Ananias was down for the count. And then that happened to his wife as well. Ananias fell down and he died. He got caught in his lies. He got caught in his deceit. 
See, our spiritual enemy wants to deceive us, but we can never give in. Isn't it fascinating that just like our spiritual enemy entered sin into the world by deceiving Adam and Eve, he sought to enter sin into the church through the deceit of Ananias and Sapphira. Our spiritual enemy tries to deceive us. He wants nothing more than to sow seeds of discord and disunity and division in our lives because he knows that the attacks on the inside are so much worse than the attacks on the outside. But church, we must never give in. I I don't know what this looks like for you today. Uh, Maybe you're sitting here and you're questioning, you're, you're, you're wondering whether or not God actually hears your prayers. He wants to deceive you about your prayer life. But I'm telling you this morning, you can never give in. Maybe he wants to deceive you about your marriage, about whether there's any hope for the future, about whether you married the right person, whether things could ever change. But I'm telling you, folks, we can never give in. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and he's deceiving you about your church. Ah, you don't really fit here. You don't really belong here. You don't really have any friends here. Church, you must never give in. Maybe he's deceiving you about your salvation. Do you really think God could cleanse you of your sins? Do you really think God could forgive you? Church, you must never give in because our spiritual enemy is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a falsifier. He is a fraud. Jesus says he is a liar and he is the father of lies. On Father's Day, that's not a good deal, right? (laughs) To be the father of lies, right? That's what he does. That's who he is. But we can never give in. Why? Because that's the kind of church that the Holy Spirit fills. It's a church where our enemy tries to silence us, but we won't be quiet. It's a church where our enemy wants to deceive us, but we will never give in. And third and finally, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a church where our spiritual enemy wants to destroy us but we will never stop. Our spiritual enemy wants to destroy us, but we will never stop. I'm telling you folks, if he can't silence you, he'll try to deceive you. And if he cannot deceive you, he will try to destroy you. Jesus tells us in John 10.10 that we have a spiritual enemy who desires to steal and kill and destroy everything that's meaningful to the heart of God, right? Right? 1 Peter 5.8, he says, your spiritual enemy, Satan himself, is like a roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour, right? He wants to destroy us. He hates the church because the church is accomplishing the mission of God. Look again a little bit later in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are back in jail again. Guess why? Because they're preaching about Jesus, So they get thrown into jail, and then really cool story, we don't have time to get into it, but the angel of the Lord actually comes in and lets them out of jail in the middle of the night, and they walk out, and they go back to the temple, and guess what they start doing? Preaching again in the name of Jesus. This made their enemies even angrier, and so they throw them back into jail, and then look what happens in verse 40. They called the apostles in, and they did what? They had them flogged. They had them flogged. What's it mean to be flogged? It means to be beaten, to be whipped, literally to have your skin flayed with this leather whip, maybe had pieces of bone or glass or metal tied to the end of it, meant to literally rip your back and your chest open to the point where you can barely move or breathe. I think sometimes we we look over this and we say, well, uh, they just got flogged, at least they didn't get crucified. 
Oh, they just got flogged. At least they're not stuck in jail. Flogging was one of the most devastating and debilitating types of punishment of that day. It's meant to incapacitate a person. It's meant to break their spirit. It's meant to destroy their body. Obviously, this would not be an appropriate form of punishment in our setting today, right? Uh, If you're a parent, you know that we even have to be really careful about how we discipline uh, our, our own children, right? And so a couple weeks ago, we were out to eat, and uh, if you've ever been out to eat with a preschooler, you know that uh, that can always be an adventure, uh, not least of which because uh, Lucas hates to eat anything that has any nutritional value. And so uh, broccoli, meat, fruit, no, uh, chocolate, ice cream, candy, yes, right? And so this constant battle to get something in his mouth that will help him to grow and become strong. So my wife, who is brilliant, as you guys know, came up with this game a few weeks back that tapped into the competitive streak uh, of the Twible uh, men, right? So my son is 100% me, I'm convinced, and I hate to lose, and he hates to lose. And so Simone came up with this game that whoever finishes their meal first wins. I don't know what you win. You just win, right? So whoever finishes the meal first wins. And so every meal, it's this competition. Oh, you you better hurry, Lucas, because mommy's going to beat you. Uh, Mommy's almost finished. Oh, you better hurry, uh, Lucas, because daddy's going to beat you. Daddy's almost done. And so that all went really well and good until we're sitting in a restaurant a couple weeks ago, packed with people, right? People everywhere. And it's here in town. And maybe some of you were there, hopefully not. And so we're, we're sitting there and we're having normal family conversation, best you can have with a three-year-old. And so we're just sitting there having conversation, and suddenly Lucas looks down at Simone's plate and realizes that she's almost finished. And he starts yelling at the top of his lungs, Mommy, don't beat me. Mommy, don't beat me. I promise I'll eat my eggs. Just don't beat me. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident we're on some sort of family watch list uh, somewhere right now. Just don't beat me, right? Different type of beating. But this is a literal beating, right? This is a literal sought to destroy their body, to break their spirits. But I love what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Because they have just gotten flogged. They've just gotten beat within an inch of their life. And look what scripture says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. What were they doing? Rejoicing, giving thanks to God because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And so day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, what did they do? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord. What did they do? They never stopped. Our spiritual enemy wants to destroy us, they said, but we will never stop. Our spiritual enemy wants to silence us, but we will never be quiet. Our spiritual enemy wants to deceive us, but we will never give in. Our spiritual enemy will try to destroy us, but we will never stop because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen, First Church. There is hope for us because we serve a God who is greater than our spiritual enemy. And I know that there will be times where it's hard. I I know there's days where it's going to feel like you are on your own where you don't have any hope, where you don't have anywhere to turn. You're to feel like you just can't get on because your spiritual enemy seeks to destroy and to deceive and, and get you down. But it's in those days that I want you to remember this promise of Jesus. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in my hardships, in my persecutions, and in my difficulties, because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am burdened, then I am blessed. When I face opposition, that's when I am ready for the resistance. Because that's the kind of church that the Holy Spirit fills. It's a church that is prepared for a purpose. It's a church that lives like the light. And it's a church that is ready for resistance. Come what may, we will not back down, we will not slow down, we will not come down because the Holy Spirit of God has so filled us up that we must accomplish our purpose in this community. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God for his wonderful gift in our lives. Our mission Our job is to glorify God. His mission, his job, is to build his church. And he says, I will build it. (laughs) And the gates of hell will never overcome it. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the promise of victory today. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. As we close our service this morning in a spirit of prayer, I feel impressed in my uh, spirit to, to close uh, just a little bit differently today. Um, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken to many people here today. And I believe that there are some of you here that are facing an extreme amount of resistance and opposition in your life. There are things that you're going through that perhaps people know, perhaps they don't. Your enemy is trying to, uh, uh, he's trying to, to, to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your body. He's trying to destroy your spirit. He's trying to destroy your mind. He's trying to deceive you. He's whispering lies in your ear even now. Lies about yourself. Lies about your marriage. Lies about your kids. Lies about your church. Lies about your family. There's there's some of you here today, he's simply trying to silence you because he is so sick and tired of you talking about Jesus everywhere you go. And so in your workplaces and at home and, and anywhere you go, you're facing opposition because he knows that you are salt and you are light in the world around you. And this morning, what I'd like to ask you to do is if that's you today, I'd like to ask you to take a bold step of faith. And when the choir begins to sing, to come here and join me at the altar. What I really believe is that none of us were meant to do this journey alone. Never were we meant to do it by ourselves. And there will be times when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, you can't do it by yourself. You need the community. You need your brothers and sisters. You need someone just like Aaron and her held up the arms of Moses when he couldn't do it himself. You need somebody to come around and hold up your arms or wrap their arms around you or lay their hands on you and say, I'm with you. I'll walk with you. You're never on your own. Never leave you. Never forsake you. If that's you today, I'd ask you to just slip out of your pew where you are as the choir begins to sing and join me. There may be others here that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about someone in your life who is facing extreme resistance. You know who they are. God's put their, put their face in your mind. Maybe even said to them yourself, I wish they were here to hear this today. And the Holy Spirit said to you, stand in the gap for that person. 
stand in the gap, intercede for that person who cannot intercede for themselves. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who's far from God. Maybe it's a spouse who needs healing. Maybe it's a, a, a coworker or a friend that needs a touch from God. And right now, Jesus would say to you, come and stand in the gap because they are facing resistance, they're facing opposition, and they cannot do it by themselves. Stand in the gap for them today. Jesus laid that person on your heart. I'd invite you to come as well, to lift up the requests, to join here at the altar together. The altar is never a place of condemnation. It's a place of invitation. It's not condemnation, it's conversation. And if Jesus has touched your heart today, I'd ask you to come join me here. And let's lift up our petitions.